Hi, Jay. Hi, Matt. And do you prefer Matthew or Matt? Matt. Matt. That's what I thought. Matthew's when I'm in trouble. Okay. <laughs> so only your mom can call you that. No, that's when I get the Matthew Scott. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Strength and Recovery Podcast. I'm Jay Rodenbush, Director of Alumni Engagement and your host today. I'm sitting down with Matt Carlson and his mom, Terry. And uh, Matt is an alum and a new hire of RCA, and we're so pleased to have him on board. He's working as an RSS, working on his CADC, and um, just, just so pleased about the progress and um, if you've met Matt, you just know that he lights up every room that he comes into. People gravitate toward him, and um, he's been a real um, blessing to our alumni group at our St. Charles, Illinois location, which is outside Chicago. And I just wanted um, for you all to hear his story and and get to meet mom, who played a real important role in the story. And when I've heard little bits and pieces, I haven't heard Matt's complete story, but when I've heard bits and pieces, often I hear mom's name come through and, and her influence. And so I thought um, it would be a great, um, a great way to celebrate mothers as it is um, the month of mother's day and really look at stigma and um, how families interact and, and what resources we can give to moms who are often on the front lines when family members and, and sons and daughters are experiencing substance use disorder. So with that, Matt, introduce yourself. Um, my name's Matt. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic. Um, today is day 304 of sobriety. Yeah. No, Matt, you've already been oh, God. for over a year, honey. Yeah, 404. Oh, God. 404. Yeah. I was like, oh, we missed. We lost yeah. you. I'm sure. I'm turning back time. Um, no. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, glad no. your mom's here. Yeah. We need somebody to keep this all straight. She's been keeping me in check for the past 34 years. So, um, basically, my story. Um, oh, gosh. Um, I started heavily drinking, um, probably my senior year of high school, um, you know, just going to parties, this and that, um, then, you know, graduated, went to college, was in the city, had a lot of freedom and just decided to drink instead of go to class because, you know, Hey, that's all what all the cool kids do in college. (laughs) Um, Failed out because I didn't go to class and then um, got home. My mom told me I had to get a job that, you know, she wasn't going to uh, let me freeload off of her anymore. And so I got my first job in the service industry. My sisters worked at a restaurant, so I got the easy in. And anybody who's uh, listening knows with the service industry comes a lot of drinking and partying and so forth and so you know that's when I got my first taste of that hanging out with the kids older than me and then it was just all downhill from there um I wasn't um an everyday drinker I didn't need to drink every day um I was a severe binge drinker 
So once I took that first sip, and as the Book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, trigger the phenomenon of craving and uh, got my uh, allergy to alcohol going, um, I couldn't stop, which would lead into me probably having like maybe two, three-day benders um, because, you know, I'd wake up hungover. And then, you know, just want to have a little hair hair of the tail of the dog to make myself feel better and be able to get me through my day. Like, <clears throat> I never really ever missed work or, or obligations due to my drinking. Um, I mean, a lot of my work and obligations revolved around alcohol. So, you know, I was able to get that hair of the tail of the dog and just muster up the strength to get out of bed. Um, but no, that went on for until goodness, March, 2022, when I got off of work one day and I only worked the lunch shift. I went down, enjoyed happy hour at a couple places, just kept drinking all day because it was my boss's, um, birthday and she was working. So I knew I had to make it till like nine o'clock to meet up with them at the bar. But, you know, I knew if I went home. I wouldn't go back out because once you're home, you're home. Um, and just kept drinking, drinking, drinking. And I don't know what hit me that um, night, but I got home and sat on my mom's floor crying and just said, Mom, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. And boy, let me tell you, I've never seen her pop out of bed so fast when I come into her room drunk. Normally she's yelling at me, telling me to get out, yelling at my dad to get your son. Cause you know, when I'm like that, I'm my dad's son, not hers. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, when I'm good, I'm hers. When I'm bad, I'm my dad's. Um, and I'm pretty sure she had RCA on speed dial. Um, and I just, I, I, I remember, you know, I, I'm the baby and the only boy, so her and I have just a really strong bond. My sisters joke that the umbilical cord is still attached between us. Um, <laughs> and just sitting there going, Mom, I don't want to talk to them. You're my mommy. You talk to them. And they're like, you know, you're an adult. You need to talk. Um, yeah, no, I just remember sitting there, her talking to them. I talked, I barely remember what I talked to them about. Um, but all I know is that they couldn't process my insurance until 530 in the morning. At this time, it was like 1230 in the morning. So she told me to go lay down in my bed, which was probably a mistake at first. But, you know, she held her guns this time because anytime I said that I wanted to go to rehab, once I got she never pulled the trigger. And mm -hmm. so once I got sober, I was like, I'm just kidding. No, no. And so this time she's like, all right, up and down. And I was like, no, I don't want to go anymore. She's like, you're going this time. Get up. Um, so yeah, I know that's just what led to me getting to rehab, um, and, and doing my, doing my 30 and enjoying every minute of it and did IOP through RCA. Were you planning to do the whole 30 or were you planning to, to detox oh, yeah. and I skipped over that, didn't I? Um, no, when I got there, I, I wasn't even, I didn't even know if I was going to plan on doing the full detox. I thought, you know, Hey, I, I'll do five days. I'll be good. No. And, and that, that's so often the case. People just think if I can get the substance out of me, I'll be fine and I can start over. Um, as you've gone through this and now working with patients and, you know, and, and going through it yourself. Yeah. I think that's probably not a great idea. 
it's not a great idea because you don't give yourself the ability to completely learn about your addiction or your your addiction and your disease. You're giving your you're you only do it in a couple of days. You're giving your body the ability to maybe push a little bit of the drug out. But the addiction is, you know, as you the the uh, one of the people who do the bridge ceremony at St. Charles when she's doing her little speech says isolation. You know, this disease loves isolation. It's doing push-ups in your brain when you're isolating. So, you know, when we're in, in there for only a couple of days, the disease that's taking a nap, but once we get out, it's it's back there because you, you don't gain the full knowledge to, you know, basically put that guard up against your disease, if that's metaphorically making sense. And Terry, what are you seeing? So Matt is, you know, he's not doing well in school. He's had to get a job. What's going on in your mind through all of well, this? You know, well, first of all, he did really good in high school. Um, yeah. Graduated like in the top 10% of his class. And so when we were looking at, when we were looking at uh, colleges, um, I really wanted, the first place he was accepted to was St. Xavier, which is kind of on the perimeter of the city. And I really wanted him to go there because it was a smaller atmosphere. And I thought he'd really do well with that. Um, for the kid that his senior superlatives were biggest gossip and teacher's pet, I figured, you know, the smaller environment might, you know, he could thrive in that. But um, this is how, like, crazy he was. He didn't like the dorms for the freshmen, so he didn't want to go there after we did the tour. Um, but anyway, I, I guess that when he was down at UIC, that's where he went, University of Illinois, Chicago, um, you know, he would call me and he'd be, you know, drunk. Um, and one time we got called down there, <clears throat> excuse me, um, by the emergency room, he had been he had drank so much that um, he was banging his head against the walls and everything. And his um, his friends didn't know what to do with him. And so they finally called an ambulance. And um, <clears throat> he was, you know, brought to the emergency room. And um, so the gal who was like, you know, worked at the front desk called me at like one o'clock in the morning and said, um, your son wants you to come down here. And um, and I said, no, you know, just let him be, sleep it off, and he can go back to his dorm. I, I just thought that he, you know, drank too much. And, and at that time, I really didn't notice him drinking a lot in high school. So I thought, he's on his own for the first time. He's experimenting. You know, I didn't really, the alarms didn't go off. Right. Well, then, um, I guess he got really belligerent in the emergency room. He pulled his IV out with his teeth. He was screaming at policemen. It was bad. So they had to go and um, and isolate him in a room. And the gal called back and she said, you know, normally kids are like, please don't call my parents. Please don't call my parents. She goes, you're a naughty kid. Said, please, I need, a, I need my mom. I need, I need them to come down here. So I 
you know, my husband and I reluctantly got in the car. By this time, it's like three in the morning. And drove into the city. And um, they brought us back to this room he was in. And um, we opened the door. And I just, I was like bowled over by the smell of booze and urine. I was like, this is horrible. And I closed the door to the room. And I turned around. And I looked at my husband and I said, you got to deal with this. I can't deal with this. And Matt was laying in this room. They had him in restraints on a gurney. Um, he had said he had to go to the bathroom and they were ignoring him. And so he had peed all over himself. Hmm. Um, and of course, you know, the smell of intoxication. And um, as a healthcare professional, I was appalled by it because I said he could have thrown up, aspirated, you know, like any of those things. And they just had him locked in this room because he was being difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and so my, my thoughts went to that rather than look what he did. He's laying in this bed. I suppose I had like a lot of um, justification for him for a long time. It's his first time away from home. He's 18 years old. It's Thirsty Thursdays. What do you expect? You know, she tried to warn me at that time, and I, I didn't, I didn't really want to heed the warning. Um, so we put Matt back in. You know, we brought him home, and my husband put him in the shower, got him cleaned up, gave him a little something to eat, and put him to bed. And he slept for a couple of days. Um, and there wasn't a lot that was said about that. Um, you just get back and, into the routine. Yeah, yeah, because it was uncomfortable. You know, it was uncomfortable. And my son couldn't be, you know, have a drinking problem. Um, and then as the years progressed, it obviously became more and more deepened and... Um, and it came to the point where, you know, he lived at home and he didn't live at home. You know, he was in and out of the house when he wasn't living at home. I didn't know a lot of it, but that's when he, actually he got um, his second DUI when he wasn't living at home. And um, that would almost send him to jail because it was his second and he had. Um, You're starting to see life kind of unravel for him. Exactly. Exactly. And. Um, you know, that's when he lost his license and we had to pay for the lawyer and, you know, and he knew how to, to manipulate my feelings quite a bit. You know, he, he knew how to make me slip into, oh, that's my, you know, my baby couldn't have done that kind of mode, you know. Um, but then when he was living at home this last time, he would come home and he would want like it, you know, Two in the morning, you need want to talk to me, and he put the light on, and it really started to bother me because I saw, like, I had a front row seat to the pattern emerging and what was going on, and um, I tried to have several talks with him about his alcohol abuse, and I tried to talk to him about it, and it would go in one ear and out the other, and he may listen to me for a little bit, but he never really took it to heart and um so it was getting pretty pretty bad at the end 
he had lost a couple of jobs due to his drinking, not not showing up, but drinking on the job. Um, and I mean, you'd have to be, you know, deaf, dumb and blind not to realize that he had an issue at that point. Um, and I, I prayed for 11 years. I prayed. Wow. I, I prayed that he would see what was going on, that, you know, God would guide him into getting help, that, that I would be what I needed to be for him in order for him to be the person that I knew that he had inside of him and that he could be, um, that was masked by this cloud of alcohol. And Matt, what's going on with you emotionally? Because you've got, I mean, I mean, you've got this personality, you're brilliant, you've got all this stuff, but yet this there's this pull to alcohol that is robbing you, it seems, of a lot of your peace. And, and... I just kept making excuses in my mind, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I was just making excuses. Oh, I'm in my mid to early 20s. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And don't you think that's kind of like uh, easy to do when you're young is to say, I'll fix it later. I will. I'm going to go to college later, you know, and all of a sudden. Yeah. You're, in my like, head, I was like, I'm not completely grown up. I, you know, I'm on the, this is normal. This is what everybody does. It's 10 okay. years. Everybody's jumping off the bridge. I'm just going to go with them. Yeah. And so. Terry, what about that night when he comes in and says, mom, I need help? What in you said, this is it, and I'm sticking to my guns? Well, I knew that his his life was going to be in danger if I didn't do something. Mm-hmm. Because, because Matt feels like he's invincible. He always has since he was a little kid. So that coupled with alcohol is not a real good, good um, prospect. And, um, you know, the times before when he'd say it, um, I didn't feel like he really meant it. And then I'd be like, I would be so tired because it'd be like, you got to understand you do it like in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'd say, okay, you know, we'll talk about it when you wake up, you know, because I was tired and that, that wasn't a really good idea on my part. This time I had had it. I mm-hmm. had it. And I thought, He's either, I'm either going to get a call from the coroner or the police, you know, something is, is going to happen to him that is going to be irreversible. You decided in that moment, you were drawing a boundary. This was it. Yeah, that was it. And so I had my cell phone next to me and I just looked up the phone number and I called right away. I'm like, I'm striking while the iron's hot. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't care if he's drunk or not, you know, he's going to start accepting responsibility for, you know, himself and his actions. Um, Did you see that, uh, Matt, did you notice that something was different about mom in that moment? That she had a new strength that you weren't getting around this? I mean, from the bit I can remember. Yeah. Because I was, I was gone. And what's that like for you, mom, to have... 30 days, you know, I know there's a lot of parents out there struggling and you've had the responsibility to wait for so long. I was so relieved when, well, you know, 30 days of uninterrupted <laughs> sleep. <laughs> the nurse, the nurse came out to meet him. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I wasn't even, you know, like when I dropped him off, I literally dropped him at the curb. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I felt a sense of relief when that door closed and he walked away. But again, your worry doesn't stop because mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, just make sure he stays there. Make sure he works the program that they're giving him, the tools that he they're providing him. You know, make sure he's taking it seriously. Um, but through the phone calls that he made while he was in there, I, I could tell that he was, you know, taking it seriously um, and that we were going to have a positive outcome. And was there any work, and it's it's a family disease, right? And and yeah. was there any work that you had to do um, in, in kind of your own recovery, so to speak? Well, you know, that's interesting you should say that because Matt and I were just talking about that yesterday. Um, when Matt went into recovery, you know, we made the promise that we would have a dry house. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, you know, not that, um, you know, we were heavy drinkers or anything, but it was almost like a habit at night, you know, a glass of wine, watch the news. It wasn't like, oh, it's five o'clock and now I get to have a glass of wine, you know, but it was just kind of a habit that we had gotten into. And um, so we turned that all around and that has been nothing but healthy for us. And by we, I mean you and dad, not me and you. Yeah, my husband and I, not yeah. Matt and I. And, um, and it's been very healthy for us. And it's been it's been a very positive thing for us as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we had to do that. Um, but, you know, like his siblings, his sisters were afraid to be around him and have any kind of drink because, you know, he was sober. And um, and they were kind of like disappoint. You know, they. They begged for him to get to this to get to this point in his life. They wanted, you know, they were tired of him making a fool of himself at family functions and stuff. But then, you know, when you think about having a family get together, then they couldn't, you know, they felt like they couldn't have that glass of wine or whatever. Um, but they've gotten over that, and Matt and Matt has, you know. They, they can have like a glass or two in front of him. He just doesn't want people to get obliterated, you know. Um, but it took a while to get to that point. Um, so the yeah, whole family's kind of done work. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, and I'd say to his sisters, you guys, you know, you were on me and on me about getting him help. And you were on me and on me about the way that I was handling things. And they wanted me to throw him out of the house. And I said, I can't do that. Because at least if he comes home at night, I know he's safe. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know the whole tough love thing and a lot of people do that. But for me, it was an issue of like, I wanted to make sure that he was safe at night. And even if he stumbled in at four in the morning, I knew he was in his bed. I knew he was safe. And um, everyone's journey through that is a little bit different. Matt, how do you, do you think the tough love approach would have helped sooner? Do you think, I mean... Was this the right? I was, I was, I was too stubborn. I was set in my ways. Yeah. And like she said, I'm, you know, I've always thought I was invincible. Yeah. So tough love. I would probably give her, given her a few choice words. We would have been in an argument and made up like a day later. How important has this family support and, you know, everybody kind of working together 
been in your recovery? I mean, it, family's always been number one to me, but the support has been amazing. I mean, I can even, you know, remember back to treatment, me having, you know, talks with my therapist about how guilty I felt sharing about how great of a support system I had because I had dudes at my cottage that didn't have this support. And so I almost felt bad talking about the amazing support I had outside of the place. And, you know, my therapist had to just talk to me and be like, you know, and, you know, you shouldn't, you know, feel bad over it. Each person's case is different, but, you know, you grow such a bond with those guys because you live with them. You know, for the, those of you who don't know, St. Charles is in cottages. So you, you, you live with 16 guys, very close, you know, vicinity. You, you, it's not a big, huge hospital floor. Um, so you, you, you know, and those are the guys you do all your groups with and everything. So, you know, it's just the 16 of y'all. And so you grow that close bond. And so you just want to see everybody succeed, but you don't want to feel like you're boasting. And Mm -hmm. at one point I felt like I was boasting about, you know, the amazing family I had and the amazing support, you know, and then the next person goes to share and they're like, look like a jerk, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and then you said something about like we sent you cards and stuff. Yeah, they were up in you the know, room yeah, and... absolutely. You know, my loved ones, not only my family, but my friends that knew I was in there would send, you know, my nieces, my nephews, you know, they would send me, you know, letters and cards on a daily basis. Like my RSS has joked that my bedside looked like the Hallmark store because of all the cards and notes I had next to it. But, you know, getting things like that, yes, it makes me feel good. But I want to make sure, you know, as a people pleaser, which I've always been in my life, that everybody feels good. So then that guilt starts setting in and everything like that. So, I mean, if long story short, I just ran on a, a tangent. It feels great. But at first, like I had to be come to grips with, you know, not everybody everybody has the support system I do and Mm -hmm. it isn't considered boasting when you talk about it no I mean and and I think you've done a good job you know and I've been with you with other alums almost sharing that like uh you know the support that you get from your family I feel like you almost give that to others and so I think it's almost been a modeling thing for you um, yeah. you know, I mean, um, mom, talk to me a little bit about what you wish you would have known maybe in those high school years. I mean, you're a healthcare professional, you've been around this. How was it different when it was your son? Well, it's, it's, it's always different when it's your own family. I mean, like, even if you draw a parallel to, you know, being in the middle of a trauma, you know, you, you can separate yourself, you know, from that patient to get, you know, and the family to be able to get what you need to get done, done. Mm-hmm. But when it, if it was your own child laying on that, you know, table, you'd freak out. I mean, that's just the, that's human nature. So, um, yeah, I had seen it. I had been around it, but, um, it's kind of like that, that not in my family, that wouldn't happen in my family. And ironically, you know, alcoholism does run in our family. Um, my husband's mother and my husband's grandfather, her father, 
uh, were both alcoholics. Um, so, you know, but you just, you don't want to believe it. And with Matt, because he was such a bright, like, star, you don't think it's going to be blemished by something like, or you feel it's going to be blemished by alcohol, that stigma of alcoholism. Yeah. I guess I wish I would have thought of alcoholism more as a disease rather than a stigma. Mm-hmm. And that might have been able to separate like my feelings about what was going on with him a little bit better. Um, but, you know, I thought about it as stigma. I thought about it that it was a reflection on our parenting, a reflection on how we raised him. Um, and so for me, I was, I was, I, I didn't speak to anybody about it. And I, I think was, what I'm hearing is like understanding that family history, understanding the disease brought you a sense of peace and ability to deal with and to handle the issue in front of you. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, you know, alcoholics aren't just the people that lay in the gutter and, you know, are bums on the street or whatever, like, you know, like when you're, you're being raised, you know, that's kind of like the, what you get, you know, um, and, you know, here he was in, you know, right under my, right under my thumb. And he was suffering. He was suffering. He was suffering, but because he has this kind of like Hockey aura to him, you know, I didn't know he was suffering, you know, the confidence, I should say, maybe better than cocky. Um, but then, you know, when his friends started coming to me and his sisters started coming to me and, you know, then I started realizing, you know, that he truly needed help. But then it was the mission of how I was going to get him that help. Um, because I wanted it to be of his own, you know, free will, or it was going to work. Matt, what do you wish mom would have known sooner? I mean, I, I can't say that there's anything I wish she would have known sooner because I've always been really open and, and even told her things she, she probably didn't want to know. Didn't want to know. Um, so I mean, I, I to answer that question, I don't think there's anything I I wish she would have known sooner. Um, in the in the mind in the brain of an alcoholic and addict, we we won't go to treatment until we're ready. Right. She set me up on a phone. I think we were saying this earlier, but she couldn't make you go to treatment. Exactly. She set she they kind even of if like you sneakily put me on a phone call. <laughs> for a treatment center saying that it was an interview just to hear about what it was what it was about and they're like and so this is the intake process i said the what i said you got the wrong guy goodbye and like i i boiled <laughs> you could physically somehow force someone to come into a center they're not gonna do the work yeah. I was desperate, you know, like any mom would be desperate, you know, I, I was just, I wanted him back, you know, good. Good. Yeah. I just had to hit my rock bottom. Don't know what it was, but until you to this day, all I know is I hit it. Yeah. 
do you go back to, I mean, what, what is the motivation to do the work every day and uh, the motivation to stay sober today? Loving this version of myself, seeing, being to help, you know, being able to help people. Like I said, when I spoke, you know, when I spoke at the open house, you know, step 12, help the still struggling alcoholic and addict. When I go to RCA each day to work, I don't look at it as a job because mm-hmm. it isn't. I'm doing my step 12. I'm helping the still struggling alcoholic and addict. And those patients there, just working with them, help keep me sober on a daily basis. They feed my soul. You know, seeing also seeing the relationship I'm rebuilding with my nieces and my nephews. My youngest niece, who's nine now, used to, anytime I leave the house, say, what, Uncle Matt, are you going to the bar to get drunk? Like, who's, who's seven, eight-year-old niece says that? And then on top of it, what is she saying at school about me? Because, you know, kids these days have the darndest mouths. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's probably painting this elaborate picture that I'm, like, stumbling well, in. knowing with a, Ella. No, yeah, knowing my, my niece, who is very colorful and likes to make stories up sometimes she's probably painting this picture that i'm stumbling in day in day out with no she wouldn't with a bottle in my hand i quit smoking cigarettes for her because she wouldn't give me hugs because she said i smelled like an ashtray um but no it's just all that like you know and obviously in sobriety you're selfish that was one of the things i had to come to grips with so I do this. I do this for myself. I love this version of myself. I love not having a hangover. That is fantastic. Being a productive member of society each day and waking up like during the AM hours, not when it's into the PM hours is fantastic. You set this interview for 8 AM and I, I, I was surprised, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll do it at 8 a.m. That's perfect. I got yeah, And I, I worked second shift yesterday, so I didn't get home till like 12 10. No. but here I am but World, no. right exactly it really is you know I have a puppy now she sometimes wakes me up at four or five in the morning to go out and you can't look at her and say no if I was drinking or one I wouldn't have the puppy if I was drinking yeah. two that was the deal um, breaker. I would have just let her go in the house and worried about it at a later time yeah. you know it's responsibility it's, it's overall I just my everyday life is a reason why I continue his, to stay sober. His um, actually, his sister brought up his um, my middle child brought up. She said, "You know, the youngest three grandchildren have never known him sober." Wow! And when she said that to me, she just said that to me probably about a week ago. I just stopped and I thought, "Wow." They haven't. They've never known him. So now they do. But it's like, it's kind of a slow, it's a slow process. Well, Ella, the littlest one that he was talking about, she's a kind of a hard nut to crack. Um, (laughs) She's, but um, she's very smart. Very, very smart. Um, But as we're sitting in his, in his uh, study here, I'm looking over at the wall and um, she made him this beautiful picture. And he's got it up on his wall. She would have never done that before. Um, so, I mean, like, and he is just, he is so totally the person that I always knew he could be, Jay. He is the person that I knew was hiding in there, just 
begging to come out. And I could not be more proud and more happy to have my son back. I, I just, That's I'm thankful every day. If you had to, you know, there's moms out there, they're struggling, they're in the thick of it. What's your, what would piece of advice do you just mom to mom that you would leave with them? I would say they're not going to do anything until they're ready to. And that's probably going to be your hardest journey in life is to wait for that readiness. Um, but when they are ready, try and recognize it and, and jump on it. Don't, don't procrastinate. Um, and you know, I don't, I, I couldn't have gotten through it without prayer. Cause like I said, I, I did not, I did not tell, like some of my best friends didn't even know the struggle that I was going through with them. And because it was like our little, our little family secret, you know, that wasn't really as, as secret as I thought it was. Um, but it's hard, you guys. It's it's so hard. Um, and I wouldn't relive those eleven years for the world. Well, I just I, I have to say thank you for sharing that this with us today, and just your openness and doing your part to break down that stigma and help other moms and other families just by telling your story is, is really, really powerful. So thank you. And Matt, what would you say to moms out there whose kids are in the thick of it? Just be there to support them the best way you can and you can't force them into treatment, but all you can do is support them and love them. And she continued to love and support me through mm -hmm. my addiction. And her prayers got answered. And I finally, you know, hit my rock bottom and, and, and got, got into treatment. We always end with favorite recovery quote. Do you have one? Oh, yeah. Um, it's one I found on the wall in one of the cottages. Okay. It is. Rock bottom became the be, rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. And Ooh, J.K. Like Rowling it. said that she did. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. That's really good. I didn't. I, I, which cottage is that on? Six or four. Six I work both, so I can't remember. It, it becomes a blur of which one I'm on sometimes. They're identical uh, for the most yeah. part. The only one that isn't identical is seven, which we don't use. And that's completely flipped. Yeah. Uh, Terry, do you have a quote or, or some sort of something that's gotten you through? Like I said, you know, just prayer. But um, Matt put um, a quote up in our hallway uh, mm -hmm. when he got home. And um, it's like, it says, until God opens the next door, praise him in the hallway. Oh, that's good. And, you know, that can be, you know, recovery. It can be, you know, can apply to anything. And I just think that that's for anything in life, you know, until that next thing happens, be thankful for what you have.
Well, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you, listeners. If you're needing help today for yourself, for a loved one, you can call 1-833-RCA-ALUM. There are treatment advisors standing by ready to help you make that next step. And um, if you have a question for the podcast or a topic you'd like to see addressed, we have an Instagram page. Go to Strength and Recovery on Instagram. Follow us for some motivational quotes and uh, all content on recovery. And give us a like. Um, If you would review this podcast, give us five stars. Uh, That all helps us get the word out. And and if you have questions for the podcast, you can submit those um, in our DM through Instagram. Did I say that right, Matt? Is DM an Instagram thing? Okay, yeah. So you can message us through Instagram and um, we'll we'll try to um, get a panel to answer your questions um, on the podcast. So thank you so much. Uh, We're wishing all the moms a very happy Mother's Day. And um, I like that. Uh, Until God opens the next door, praise him in the hallway today. Have a great day. Until next time. Strength and Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tap the subscribe button and leave us a review. We love hearing from our listeners and hope to reach more of you out there as we continue to share these incredible stories of recovery. The RCA alumni team aims to provide a safe, supportive environment for those in the recovery community, regardless of their affiliation with RCA. We host a full calendar of virtual and in-person meetings seven days a week, 365 days a year, as well as free sober events every month. To learn more about what we do, find us at rcaalumni.com. Remember, if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, pick up the phone and dial 1-833-RCA-ALUM. Help is available 24-7. Listen to another episode now or join us next time for the Strength and Recovery Podcast.